I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been teaching on God creating evil. We have done at least nine or ten messages. I may be wrong on this. I think this is God creates evil part ten. It might be part eleven. Y'all have to forgive me. Uh, and I'm teaching on Jim's paper on God creating evil part two of the paper. I've got this paper here, and it's got about a hundred times in the front of the paper where God creates evil. And I go through the Old Testament showing you all, not all the times, but a whole bunch of the times. In this paper, it's got about a hundred times where God says, I create evil, I will bring evil upon Israel, upon Jerusalem, upon Babylon, upon Persia. And it's um, these are yours for free. And uh, I've got a stack of them down here. And I've had people ask for them. And uh, I'm going through this paper. It's more than you can really get a hold of. So I wish you'll bear with me with this. The Bible says in Isaiah 45 and 7, I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. The context of that I create evil right before that is talking about Cyrus coming in and conquering Babylon. Cyrus coming in and conquering Babylon. Cyrus was the king or the monarch of Persia. And Persia was the same thing that we call Iran or uh, Afghanistan or Pakistan, all those stands together with with uh, Iran. That was Persia, and then Persia was over here in this area. Babylon was over here on the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River. I've just got E R, and this was the Tigris River north of it. And it came down to the Persian Gulf, where we had that Gulf War in the early 90s. And then here's Israel over here. This is Israel. And then you've got Tyre and Sidon up here, which is what we call Lebanon. And you've got down here the Gaza Strip. And that was the old ancient world of the Philistines and... uh, and then you have Egypt down here, like so, like so. And Israel was carried away into Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar because of the way they had lived. Nebuchadnezzar. I'll just put Neb up there. And Nebuchadnezzar came in and carried away southern Judah. Northern Israel had already been carried away by the Assyrian king Shalmaneser and Sennacherib and and, uh, and uh, the guy that I tell everybody don't name your kid uh, I can't think of his name Tiglath Pileser <laughs> sometimes it's called Tilgath Pileser uh, Tiglath, it will call your kid Tiggy if you if you name him Tiglath Pileser. All right. Well, they carried northern Israel away. Northern Israel. 
northern Israel. And when God talks about the evil that he will bring upon Judah and what we're going to teach today, he told through through Isaiah. Isaiah was the prophet to northern Israel about how that God is going to carry them away by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the people between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. That was the Caucasus Mountains. The Assyrians were a bunch of Caucasians, what they were. See if I can get over here to it. All right. I'll get it in a minute. Just be patient with me. I should have gone the other direction. All right. Here. And the Assyrians were up here between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. This is Russia up here. This is what we call Turkey. They called Asia Minor on the western end of Turkey. And Galatia was a state right here in the middle of Turkey where you had Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And then this is the Mediterranean Sea. Here's the Strait of Gibraltar. You had the Rock of Gibraltar right there. And all of the biblical, all the Bible lands is from, this is the Atlantic Ocean. They didn't know much, nothing about that. So the entire Mediterranean Sea area is the Bible lands right here. That's it. So if you have a map like this, you got the picture of the Bible lands. Now Israel was carried away into captivity and over here into Babylon on the, on the Euphrates River. They were carried away there. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about how Israel was carried away and how God said, I will bring evil upon Israel. There's two subjects in the Bible, good and evil. That's it. Because you're either doing good or you're doing evil. Now, let me erase this. I believe in teaching with maps so people can see what's going on. The Atlantic Ocean, if you go straight across there, you get to the United States. But there was no United States of America back then. And over this way is Russia and China, back to the right, the Far East. This is the Middle East here, what they call the, what they call the Middle East. Now, I've been going through this paper that I've, that I have. I'm, they're giving away free. They're right down here. And it's got a whole bunch in it about God creating evil. Where we got to the other day, we got to Nehemiah rebuilding the temple. He finishes it up. This is Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, in the very last chapter, the 13th chapter. Hold on here. The 13th chapter of Nehemiah. Nehemiah started when Nebuchadnezzar carried Israel away into captivity, carried over to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar burnt the city of Jerusalem to the ground. He destroyed the temple, and uh, he did everything against Israel 
that could be done. He killed millions of them, left them lay dying in the streets. God told them all they had to do was go to Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar and they would be saved. Just submit to him. They had broken God's laws by going after Baal and Grove and Shemosh and Molech and Osiris and Cyrus and all the gods of the nations around them. They went after the gods of Egypt, the gods of, of Syria, the gods of, of Jordan, which is Ammon and Moab. They were going after all the gods in the world. And God said, if you go after these other gods, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence. Then I'll send the beast, which was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and then Rome to carry you away into captivity. That would be the last judgment. God called these my four sore judgments. Except the word doesn't mean sore like we think of it. Judgments. The word sore is the word raw. Same word as evil. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all things. All through the Old Testament. When you find the word evil, you have the word raw or raah. You have the verb and you have the noun. They are forms of the same word and they mean evil or bad or something that's detestable. And that's what God did to Israel because they kept going after these other gods. Now we're talking about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is rebuilding, rebuilding the city. When Nebuchadnezzar went in, he literally burnt Israel and the temple to the ground, pulled the big stones down, left them out there in a wasteland, and it looked terrible after he got through just destroying all the land of Judah, which is southern Israel. It just looked like a devastated waste. Well, there were four decrees, four decrees. There was a decree to rebuild the, the temple that was given by Cyrus. Then there was a, that was in 538 BC. Cyrus overthrew Babylon in 539 BC. And, and Nebuchadnezzar overthrew Israel in 586 BC. And northern Israel was carried away and destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. When we're talking about Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah preached for 40 years to southern Judah. When I say southern Judah, that is southern Israel. Judah was comprised of the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Northern Israel was the ten lost tribes, and they were headed up by Ephraim, the second-born son of Joseph. God gave Ephraim the inheritance of Israel. Now, the they started... Cyrus gave the first decree in 2 in 
Chronicles, the 36th chapter, and in Ezra, the first chapter. Right after Ezra comes, right after Chronicles comes Ezra. And it's mentioned twice that Cyrus gave a decree to rebuild, go back and rebuild the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had just literally annihilated. That's the evil that God said he would bring upon Israel. Well, after Cyrus comes Darius, he's a Mede king. Whenever I say Cyrus was a Persian king and Darius was a Mede king, that's because this was a dual empire, a Persian Mede empire. And sometimes there would be a Mede king like Darius. And then you had Artaxerxes, and he gave, Darius gave a second decree to reaffirm the first degree of Cyrus. I won't go into that now. I've gone into it in great detail. Then Artaxerxes gave the third degree to to uh, supply the temple with all kinds of things that they needed. Then Artaxerxes, that's the third decree. This decree in 538. This second one was in 520. And then the third one was in 457, 56, 56. And then the fourth decree is the one that Nehemiah has got from the king Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah was a cupbearer in the, in the court of Artaxerxes. He was sad there in the first uh, chapter of Nehemiah. In the second chapter, King Artaxerxes says, What's wrong, Nehemiah? And it was against the Persian law to be sad in the presence of a king. You could die, but Artaxerxes loved Nehemiah. He was his cupbearer. That was the guy that brought him his cup. And he would, uh, if somebody was trying to kill the king, he'd have the cupbearer drink it first. And if he filled it, then he wouldn't drink any. So, so Nehemiah, he tells the king in the second chapter, I've heard that my city has been burnt to the ground. The walls are burnt. They pull the temple down. And I am really sad. Could you give me a letters to go back and rebuild the city of Jerusalem? Can you go back and let me build Jerusalem? He gives him a decree that's in 444, approximately 444 B.C. And then Artaxerxes loves Nehemiah so much, he says, how long are you going to be gone? He says, I don't know until it's finished. Well, he finishes it. He finishes the city in 432 B.C. 432 B.C., he's gone 12 years. And Artaxerxes is anxious to see him come home. If you'll notice, Nehemiah is before Esther, before Job, before Psalms, before Proverbs, before Ecclesiastes. But Nehemiah comes right at the end of the Old Testament because Malachi 
the last prophet of the Old Testament, does his prophecy in about 397 B.C. So it's not long after Nehemiah that Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament, does his, does his prophecy. Now what I'm doing, I'm trying to show you what God says. I create evil in Israel. And all the evil that he creates is this sword, the famine, the pestilence. Anytime you fight that, that God calls that. I bring these four evil judgments. That's what he says in the 14th chapter of Ezekiel. These are my four sore judgments. They're gods. They belong to him. And he brings upon sore means evil. It's the word raw. Now, We've gotten down to the end of Nehemiah. And where we are, Nehemiah has finished. Now, because Israel was serving all these gods, they were oppressing the poor. Oppressing the poor. They were violating the Sabbath. Violating Sabbath. Besides so much more, God has said, if you oppress the widow and the orphan, and they cry to me, I hear their cry, I'll kill you with a sword. Your wives will be widows and your children will be orphans. Now we get right down to the end of Nehemiah. He has finished building the city. What's amazing, he had some enemies in Nehemiah. He had an enemy called Sanballat. Sanballat. Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem. These were his enemies. Sanballat was the head of this mob, always trying to trap Nehemiah into something. He tried to get Nehemiah to go into the temple, and Nehemiah wasn't even a Levite. And if you went into the temple and you weren't a Levite and you tried to perform some kind of rituals that they had to perform in the Old Testament, God would strike you dead. And Nehemiah knew that. Sanballat, back in the beginning of, go back here, and, and Nehemiah has got these letters from Artaxerxes to come back and rebuild the city. And back here in and Sanballat and his buddies start laughing and mocking uh, Nehemiah. Go back here to the first part. I believe it's the fourth chapter. In the fourth chapter of Nehemiah, and Sanballat comes on the scene. Verse 1, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall of the city of Jerusalem that Nebuchadnezzar had leveled nearly 50 years before. He was wroth and took great indignation and he mocked the Jews. Now, Nehemiah had been over here in Babylon and he'd been given permission by Artaxerxes to go over here and rebuild that city of Jerusalem. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews, this is Sanballat talking, 
Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones of Jerusalem that's been cut down and pulled down by Nebuchadnezzar? And will they revive the stones out of out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah, the henchman of Sanballat, the Ammonite, Ammon is northern Jordan, that's what we call northern Jordan, and he said, even that which they build, if a fox go upon it, he shall even break down the stone wall. These Jews are so feeble that a fox will break the wall down. But when you go back over to the end of, after Nehemiah finishes building this wall, you go back over here to the 12th chapter and and Nehemiah has finished building it, of course, with all the workmen that he employed uh, doing it. And then in the 31st verse of the 12th chapter, then I brought up the princes of Judah upon the wall, they're on top of the wall, and appointed two great companies the word great is the word gadol it means exceeding or mighty or noble companies that gave thanks whereof one went on the right hand of the gate toward the dung gate and then down here in verse 40 so stood the two companies of them that gave thanks in the house of the Lord, I and half the rulers with me. And they were up on the wall, walking up and down the wall. Then you go over to the last chapter. In the last chapter, it'll show the evil that Israel decides to do. They decide to go back to their old tricks. The same reason they were pulled away in captivity in five. 86, 86 B.C. And here we are in 432 B.C. Long time, 140 years or so later. And they finished the wall. And guess what the Jews are doing? Some of their old tricks that they always did. Verse 15, chapter 13. In those days saw I, Judah, some treading wine presses on the Sabbath. Good grief, Israel. Don't you know why God carried you away? And they're back over here starting violating the laws of God again. And bringing in sheaves. They have no business doing that on the Sabbath. And lading asses, and also wine and grapes and figs, and manner of burdens. See, it doesn't say in here this is evil, but it is. Because he comes up and says that in the later verses, because this is on the Sabbath. They're working on the Sabbath. Which brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, and I testified against them for doing that. In the day wherein they sold victuals, there dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware and sold on the Sabbath day. Good grief, Israel, what's wrong with you? 
into the children of Judah and Jerusalem. Then Jeremiah says, then I, I, excuse me, Nehemiah says, then I contended with the nobles of Judah. I began to fight with them and said unto them, what evil thing is this that you do and profane the Sabbath day? And I've just finished building the temple with the men that were volunteers here and you're just violating things the way it always has been and then he says did not your fathers thus didn't they do this isn't that why they were carried away isn't that why the temple came down and the Israel and Jerusalem came down at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar because you're turning around doing this again in 432 B.C. Did not our God bring all this evil upon us? There you are, God creating evil. Did not God bring all this evil of destroying the city and the temple and carrying northern Israel away and carrying southern Israel away into captivity, which was Judah? And upon this city, yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath? And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut. Keep people out of here from violating the Sabbath. And charge that they should not be open till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants said I, at the gates, that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. That's why God destroyed the city and destroyed the temple, all because of your evil, wicked ways. And here you are doing it again. It's 140 years later. What is wrong with you, Israel? So the merchants and sellers and all kind were lodged outside of Jerusalem once or twice. They wouldn't go away. They lodged outside the gate. Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge you about the wall? What are you waiting, just waiting for one opening to come in and start selling? It's about money. If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. He didn't mean he's going to come and pray for them and lay hands on them like some Pentecostal. He means I'm going to grab you. And throw you out. Then down here in verse 23. In those days also saw I the Jews that had married wives of Ashdod. That's one of the chief cities of the Philistines. God kept saying, do not marry, do not take their daughters for your son's wives. And don't marry your your." Son, don't marry their their sons to your daughters, and don't marry their daughters to your sons, because that has nothing to do with black marrying white, or black and white, or red marrying intermarrying. Has nothing to do with that, and that's what the KKK come up with. They take these verses where you don't supposed to marry sons and daughters of of these people. It has nothing to do with race. It has to do with what they believed. God said, when you go into the land in Deuteronomy 7, 
do not take their daughters to your sons or their sons to your daughters. If you do, the men will go to work in the field. The women stay at home and teach the children. And the women will stay at home and teach them sun and tree worship. And they'll teach them the wrong language. That's what happens in this next verse here. In those days I saw Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon. All these were pagans. And of Moab. Moab is southern Jordan. Ammon is northern Jordan. And they all worshipped sun and tree gods. And verse 24 and their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language. Good grief. And the Bible was only written in the Jews' language at this time. It does not, it does not go into Gentile language until Acts 2. That's, the Jews have gotten crazy here. But according to the language of each people, and Nehemiah was the most bold prophet of the Old Testament. He was as bold as Jeremiah. I don't know which one I like better, Nehemiah or Jeremiah. I love both of them. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. He grabbed them and said, stop this. If Nehemiah was here today, he'd go up here to these big Baptist churches and drag the preacher out and yank him by the hair and say, get off this property and don't come back. He preaches, better be glad Nehemiah's not here. Plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves. Did not Solomon king of Israel sinned by the same things. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines and they were all pagans. And he had, and one of his wives was Pharaoh's daughter. Good night, Solomon. Yet among many nations was there no king like Solomon who was beloved of his God and God made him king over all of Israel Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Boy, you marry the wrong woman, you're in for the right of your life. So shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God and marrying strange wife, one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat, my deadly enemy. The Horonite, therefore I chased him from me. I ran after him, told you, get out of here. Now that's some of the evil that Ezra was doing. Now let's go over here to... The Bible says I created all through the Old Testament. If you've never believed that, that's called you've never read the Old Testament. you never read Nehemiah. I know you've never read Jeremiah. All through the book of Jeremiah, God says I create evil. Now go to Job, first chapter. 
Job was a rich man. He had seven sons and three daughters in verse 2. And God says he was from us and he was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And he was very rich. Verse 3, his substance was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for three sisters to eat and drink with them. Verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was come also among them. Sons of God does not mean fallen angels. They can't be fallen angels because when you look at Romans 8 and 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit is truth. Cannot be fallen angels. It was probably where the believers went to God in prayer. And that's where Satan went among them. And then Satan, and God says, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him in the earth, a man perfect and upright, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. When Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? You put a hedge around him. And Satan was a charismatic. He said, Well, the only reason he serves you is for all the money you give him. He said, Put forth thine hand, verse 11, now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse you to your face. That's what Satan says to God. The Lord says to Satan, Behold, he's in your power, he's in your hand. Remember what the hand of God is. David said, Deliver me from wicked, which is thy sword in thy hand. And upon himself put forth thine hand, but you cannot touch his body or life. Do you got that, Buster? He said, Yes, sir. So Satan goes about to destroy Job, but it's actually God that's doing it. There was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking, verse 13, drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away, all your oxen, all your asses, and it tells you how many there were in verse 3. And they have slain the servants that's watching over them with the edge of the sword. I'm the only one escaped to tell you about it, Brother Job. While he was yet speaking, while he was talking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven. That amazes me because it wasn't the fire of Satan. And hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am alone escaped to tell thee. While he was just speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, made out with three bands and fell upon the camels 
They carried him away and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. I'm the only one escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking. They were eating drinking wine in your oldest brother's house. And there came a great wind from the wilderness and spoke the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young man and they're dead and so are your daughters. I'm the only one escaped to tell you. You think you've had a hard time? Whoo-wee. Then Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name, the Shem of the Lord, the authority. It was God's authority that did this. Job didn't give Satan one ounce of credit for what happened. And the last verse of that chapter says, And all this, this is the Bible speaking. When Job said, it was Job talking in verse 21, it's the Bible speaking in verse 22. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God with the foolishness of his mouth. He didn't attribute to God, he didn't attribute to Satan what God did. The evil came from God. Then in the second chapter, Satan comes before God again. God says, where have you been? He said, I've been going to and fro through the whole earth and from walking up and down. And then the Lord said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and is good evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity. In verse 4, Satan answered and the Lord and said, skin for skin, Yea, all that a man hath will he give to save his own skin, his own life. Put forth his hand to touch his bone and his flesh and it'll curse you. God says, okay, you go ahead. But do not touch his life. Do you understand, man? Say, say yes, sir. So God's got a, so Satan strikes Job from hand to foot from head to foot you got to remember something here Satan is the servant of God when it comes to evil he can only do the amount of evil that God wants him to do so verse 7 so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd. A potsherd is a broken piece of pottery that's good for nothing. And began to scrape himself with all as he sat down among the ashes. It was their custom when you were mourning to sit in ashes and put the ashes all over your body. Then said his wife unto him, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. Isn't that amazing? She knew it was God that did this, not Satan. And then Job's answer. He said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? 
Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we also not, shall we also not receive evil from Him? Job said evil comes from God. And I love the last part of the verse. It matches up with verse 22 of the previous chapter. And all this did not Job sin with his lips. The Bible says he tells the truth about me. I did it all, God said. Satan is nothing but a servant of God. Then you get into chapter 3. Job is so depressed. Here in verse 11 of chapter 3. Why He says, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why wasn't I stillborn? I wouldn't be suffering all of this. Why did the knees prevent me or why the breast that I should suck? For now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept. Then I had been at rest. See, that's proof that Job says, if I'd have died... When I was born, if I'd have been stillborn, I'd have been at rest. That means babies don't go to hell. I would have been resting. Now, now let's go over to some more verses. Look over here in Job 5. Job is extremely depressed. He don't know what to do with himself and he says in verse 7 of chapter 5 yet man that is born man is born unto trouble as sparks fly upward just as sure as sparks fly upward man is going to have lots of trouble then verse 12 he disappointeth the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot perform their perform their enterprise they won't he'll stop men from doing what they want to do verse 13 he that taketh the wise in their own craftiness and the counsel of the froward men who are twisted is carried headlong and they stumble then verse 17 and 18 behold happy is the man whom god correcteth But he corrects you real hard, and it hurts. I'm here to testify to the fact that I'm happy that God corrected me and stopped me from going the directions I've tried to go in my life. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every one he receives, every son he receives. Verse 18. For he maketh... God maketh sore. That's a different word. Kaab. K-A-A-B. He maketh one to feel pain and to be grieved. God is the one that does that. And bindeth up the wounded. Bindeth up. He woundeth. And his hands make whole. Now. Let's go on down in this to more. Look over here in the fourth verse of the fifth of the sixth chapter. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. The poison 
whereof drinketh up my spirit, the terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. He said, these are God's terrors when he killed all my kids. Then down in verse 6 of that same chapter, can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there taste, any taste, in the white of an egg? What he is saying, if you don't put salt on the white of an egg, it has no taste. He is saying, I've got to have salt in my life. And it's painful. You put salt in a cut, it dries up a wound. But the salt hurts. That's what he's saying. Life has a taste to it when it's full of salt. You remember the word moreno? The Bible says you have to. Moreno. That is the word foolish. Foolish. It comes from moros, which is our word moron. We have to look like fools from the world's viewpoint. And that's what gives life taste. Isn't it boring to be around somebody and all they do is talk about their money and their accomplishments and nothing else? They never talk about God. That bores me to no end to get around somebody that has nothing to say about God. And look at verse 7 of chapter 6. The things that my soul refused to touch are as my sorrowful mate. Verse 9, chapter 6. Even that it would please God to destroy me. He was saying here, God, why don't you just kill me? That would be, that would loose his hand and cut me off. God, loose your hand and cut me off. I wouldn't be so miserable if I was dead. Verse 10, then should I yet have comfort? Yea, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. God, just kill me and I'll get to be with you. Verse 12, is my strength the strength of stones? And is my flesh brass? Do I not have any feelings? I do have. If it's just his stones and his brass, there's no feeling there. There's no nerves there. Then he says in verse 15, My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook, as the stream of brooks they pass away. I'm going to talk about his brethren. His brethren. Eliphaz. Eliphaz. Bildad, and Zophar. These three guys want to condemn. They're supposed to be Job's friends. Want to condemn him, and they say things like Eliphaz said, Who hath ever perished being innocent? You can't be innocent, Job, not losing all the things that you've lost. Bildad and Zophar are not far behind and said the same things. They want to blame him for God having killed his children, for losing everything he had. And they said, there must be something that's immoral about you. Watch out who you condemn. Then, 
Let's go over here to... I can't read all of this. In verse... In chapter 9. He is so weary of losing everything he had. His children, all his sheep, all his camels, all his asses, all of everything. Verse 34 of chapter 9. Let him take his rod away from me. I can't stand it anymore. And let me not fear terror. Let not his fear terrify me he's been terrified of what God's going to do next now keep going all this is the evil that God brought upon Job a verse that people are familiar with chapter 13 verse 15 though he slay me yet will I trust in him for I will maintain mine own ways before him he shall be my salvation for an hypocrite shall not come before him now let's go on over here to I'm trying to just get some highlights of Job 16 chapter 16 verse 11 God hath delivered me to the ungodly and that would be the Sabians coming in all these robbers coming in stealing his sheep and the fire of God falling from heaven God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turn me over in the hands of the wicked. That's the evil that God brought upon Job. He had wicked men. He put it in their minds to attack Job. You say, would God do that? Yes. He said he had to put it in the minds of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. He had to put it in their minds to release Israel to go back home to rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem. It was not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's how you'll be redeemed and delivered. That's in Zechariah, the fourth chapter. In verse 12 of verse 16, I love this verse. I was at ease. I had all the things a man could have. But he hath broken me asunder. This is the evil that God did to Job. He hath also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. God just grabbed me by the neck and shook everything out of me. And he set me up for his mark, his guardhouse, his prison. That's what it means. I'm in God's prison. Now, let's go on over here to... I'm just showing you where God... But all this evil. Look at 30, Job 30, and verse 26. When I looked for good, then evil came unto me. God creates evil. God created in the minds of these people to go and take everything Job had. That didn't just happen accidentally. Satan said, let me do this. Satan is nothing but a stirring stick of God. It's like a man that's stirring up some paint. He didn't put his arm in there and stir the paint up. He's got a stick and he stirs it. And that's what Satan is, is God's stirrer. And when I waited for light, there came darkness. I'm just showing you some of the things. Now, these 
three friends of Job have been giving him a hard time. There's a young preacher that comes along. His name is Elihu. Elihu corrects these three guys for saying Job did something wrong and he had to have been done something evil. Well, Elihu comes along. Chapter 32, verse 2. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Now Job comes up and calls himself innocent. But it's not anybody's business to call Job down for that. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. He waited till everybody had their say. And when Elihu saw there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakel and the Buzite, answered and said, I'm young, and you three men are old. Wherefore, I was afraid and durst not show you my opinion. And then he just lets go on. And they think being somebody special in life makes them important. And this is Elihu's words down here in verse 21. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person, neither let me give flattering titles unto them. D-D-L-L-D, doctor, Ph.D. I don't want these flattering titles. That word flattering is the word kana. means to eulogize. K-A-N-A-H. It means to say good words to them. Uh, flatter them. Lift them up. Then look here in verse 33. This is the only place you'll find it. Verse this is Job speaking. Verse 1. Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken unto all my words. Behold, now I have opened my mouth. My tongue hath spoken in, in my mouth. My words shall be of uprightness of my heart, and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. Then if you look down here in verse 9. Job says, I am clean without transgression. I am innocent, moral or pure. You know what God is doing to Job? He's putting him through fire just like he does us to cause him to be pure because he thought he was pure or innocent up to this point. And God says, nobody is that pure. Now go over here, one of my favorite chapters of Job. Chapter 37, verse 1. At this also my heart trembleth and is moved out of his place. Hear attentively the noise of his voice and the sound that goeth out of his mouth. He, speaking of God, directeth it under the whole heaven and his lightning unto the ends of the earth. 
The lightnings belong to God. All the storms belong to God. All the hurricanes belong to God. All those winds that blew his house down and killed his sons and his daughters, they were God's winds and God's storms. He directed it under the whole heaven and his lightning unto the ends of the earth. After it a voice roareth, he thunders with the voice of his excellency, and he will stay them when his voice is heard. God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he, which he cannot, we cannot comprehend. For he saith to the snow, Be on the earth. And men will say, Yes, but it takes the air to heat up or the atmosphere to become warm or cool off. Whatever it takes science-wise, God speaks to science and says, Be, so the snow will be upon the earth. Likewise to the small rain, like we had earlier today, earlier yesterday. It was a small rain, but it went all day long. And to the rain of its strength, to the downpour, this is God's rain. He sealeth up the hand of every man. Means to close up, katham, to close up the hand that all men may know his work. You can't do anything with a closed hand. It means to close the hand. Then the beasts go into the dens and remain in their places. Out of the south comes the whirlwind. That's God's too. The word is kupa. Kufa. K-U-W-C-U-W-P-H-A-H. Kufa. Hurricane. That's God's. A storm. A big raging storm. And cold out of the north. God says, that's me. I was raised in I was raised in North Texas. We used to have ice storms. We'd be warned ahead of time. They'd come on the TV and say a norther is coming. Norther N O R T H E R. It might be seventy five degrees in the morning and the and the norther would hit and the degrees would plummet to about fifteen in just hours. And everything be covered with ice. We had ice storms down there. We didn't have many snows, but a lot of ice storms. By the breath of God, frost is given. It's not our word, frost. The word is kirach, Q-E-R-A-C-H. Q-E-R-A-C-H. The word is ice. When there's an ice storm, I've been, I've driven through ice storms. I'd seen cars in ditches, wrecks, and people. When ice storms are here and people are killed, that's God's doing. The breath of the waters are straightened. Also by watering, he weareth the thick cloud. He scattereth his bright cloud. And it is turned around by his counsels. Talk below. By its, his steerage, his guidance. Everything is by his guidance. The storms, everything. That they may do whatsoever he commanded them. 
the storms do what God wants them to do. When Katrina hit down there in, in Louisiana, that was God's will. And people died, that was God's doing. He holds, Jesus holds the keys of death, not Satan. God said, I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal. In verse 13, he causeth it to come for a number of three reasons. For correction, so he can correct his people. Or for his land, so it can grow fruit or vegetables. And to be merciful to people for mercy. He says down here in verse 19, Teach us what we shall say unto him. For we cannot order our speech by reason of darkness. We don't even know what to ask God. Verse 22, Fair weather cometh up of the north with God is terrible majesty. This Now this sounds like a really peculiar word here. Verse 23, Touching the Almighty... We cannot find him out. He is excellent in power and in judging and in plenty of justice. He will not afflict. I thought you said he was afflicting us. He is. But afflict is the word anah. It's the same word afflict. The soul in Leviticus 16, and that's the fast on the Day of Atonement. God will not humble himself. So when it says he will not afflict, it means humble himself to our way of thinking. Then he gets into the 38th chapter. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, out of the hurricane, the storm. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? You're going to darken my counsel when you don't even have enough knowledge to do it. Gird up thy loins like a man. I will demand of thee. Answer me. So what he's going to do all through this chapter, all the way to the end, he says... These are my questions to you, Job, when you said you were innocent. I'm not going to read all of it. Take too long. Verse 11. Hitherto shall thou come, but no further. He's talking about the, he's talking about the stars and the seas. They can only go to the boundaries that God wants them to go to. Here they, Shall thy proud ways be stayed? They stop when God wants them to stop. And he says in verse 22, Have you entered into the treasures of the snow? He's saying, I have done that. You say you're innocent? Or hast thou seen the treasures of of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war? I've set hell up there so I can fight for my people. Verse 25. Who hath divided the water course for the overflowing of the waters or a way for the lightning of thunder to cause it to rain on the earth where no man is? I don't cause it to rain just because for a man. I cause it to rain when there's no man there. That's for me. 
on the wilderness wherein there is no man to satisfy the desolate and waste ground to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth. Down in verse 29. Out of whose womb comes the ice? He said, I created the ice in the previous chapter. And the hoary frost, which is the ice of heaven, who hath gendered it, who hath birthed it? Can you bind the sweet influences of Pleiades? The sweet influences was the smell of the new mown hay because the rabbis said that the Pleiades, the seven stars, drew the sap up in the vine. It first appeared in the springtime. Can you loose the bands of Orion? They said Orion took the sap down. So the, the rabbis knew what he was saying. And I love 35, verse 35. Canst thou send lightnings that they may go and say, Here we are, where shall we strike? God is showing that he has all power to do everything, the good, the evil, all of this when it's done for correction. It's devastating. Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? Or verse 36. Or who hath given, given understanding to the heart? Verse 37. Who can number the clouds in wisdom? Or who can stay the bottles of heaven? Who can stop the rain as the old song says? God says, I do that. And then he, what he's saying is, can you do all of this? I do all of this and more. Verse 39, Will thou hunt the prey for the lion? I do that. Or fill the appetite of the young lions when they couch in their dens and abide in the covert to lie in wait for some young deer to come along so they can jump on him. And God says, I do that too so they can have food. Verse 41, Who provided for the raven his food? When his young ones cry to God, they wander for lack of meat. I do all of that. I might read this verse in chapter 39. Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee or abide by the crib? Unicorn is just the word ream, R-E-E-M. means wild bull. Doesn't mean an actual unicorn. It's the wild bull. Canst thou bind the unicorn with his band or the wild bull? The thing is, you cannot bind a wild bull. It's like the uh, the wild bulls in Africa, the the great big ones that's got the great big horns. They they can't be tamed. They're too big. They're too wild. And he go he continues this all through the fortieth chapter. All through this he is talking about asking Job questions. Can you do all this? He said, I can do all that. I like verse fourteen of chapter forty. Then will also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee if you can but do all these things then you can save yourself. Now let's go over here to the last chapter. Chapter 42. His three friends, Bildad, Zophar, 
and Eliphaz have condemned Job, told him something's wrong with him. He had to be evil. Let's read some of this. Verse 7. It was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is is kindled against you, Eliphaz, and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me the thing that is right, so my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer it for yourselves, a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, because he's a righteous man. Lest I deal with you after your folly by your condemning of Job, and that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job does. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite went and did according to the Lord commanded them. And the Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends, these three that turned on him. Also the Lord have Job twice as much as he had before. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he had all those camels, all those asses, all those sheep. God doubled it. Then came there unto him all his brethren, all his sisters, and all they that had been his acquaintance before, and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought. Let me read that again. They comforted Job over all the evil that God brought to his life. His children dying, all of his goods being stolen, and he had double what he had before. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one and every of goes. All that had happened to him, that Bildad Zophar and, and uh, Eliphaz had condemned him for. God doubled it and condemned them for their evil, wicked ways. Now, how much time do I have, Mike? Huh? All right, let's keep reading some of these things. Let's go to the 17th chapter of Psalms. Psalm 17. And let's read about evil men being the hand of God. Let's start reading here in... uh, Verse 8, keep me as the apple of thine eye. This is David prays to God to be saved from his enemies. Keep me as the apple. You'll find that in the superscription right before, right above the chapter. The superscription means above scription. It'll tell you what it's about. This is. David prays to God to be saved from his enemies. And he says here, Keep me as the apple of your eye. 
had me under the shadow of thy wings. He had a lot of enemies. He had Joab. He had Ahithophel. He had Absalom, who he loved, but it was his enemy. He had many enemies. From the wicked that oppressed me, from my deadly enemies who compassed me about, they were enclosed in their own fat. Didn't mean, like I say, cellulite, the fat on your body. The fat of the Jews was the richest of cattle, the richest of wheat, and so forth. They're enclosed in their own fat. With their mouth, they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth. His own son, Adonijah, tried to take over the kingdom, along with his son, Absalom, tried to take over the kingdom. They were trying to put their father down so they could assume his throne. Verse 12, like a lion that is greedy of his prey, as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. Young lions were extremely vicious. It was an old lion. He might just stop and throw you around a little and walk away. Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword, from men which are thy hand, O Lord. Evil men are God's hand and God's sword. From men of the world which have their portion in this life, they got everything they want. You can read the 73rd chapter and find out these same men. Whose belly thou fillest with thy treasures. They're full of children. They leave the rest of their substance to their babes. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I will be satisfied when I wake with thy likeness. So he says, evil man, or God's sword that he raises up against us. Now, go over here. Let's go over to... I'm still talking about... God creating evil. I'm going to go into Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah. This man talks more about God doing evil to Israel than anybody in the Bible. Jeremiah preaches in Israel from from 625 B.C. Excuse me, 6... 626 B.C. This is the time Jeremiah is preaching. From 626 B.C. to 586 B.C. And that's when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and slaughters Israel and carries them away into captivity. He is walking through the streets of Jerusalem. He is the last major prophet to preach in the streets of Israel or the streets of Jerusalem. Of Jerusalem. Jeremiah is preaching to southern Israel or southern Judah. Northern Israel has been carried away 722 B.C. 
That's when they were carried away. So when you read Jeremiah, this is the end of Israel as a nation. Everything has to say to them. Now, let's read some of the first chapter. He's going to tell you all about God bringing evil. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, We know who the word of the Lord is. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him. The word. That's Jesus. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the womb, I knew you, Jeremiah, and before you came out of the womb, I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet unto the nations before you were conceived or born. Then said I, Oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. I'm just a child. Those are David's words over in First Kings, not David, Solomon's words in First Kings, that fourth chapter when God comes to talk to Solomon. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I will send thee, and whatsoever I command thee you shall speak. Be not afraid of the people's faces. Now God's going to tell Jeremiah, What I want you to do, since he's the last major prophet, he's a prophet of judgment. He's not a prophet of conversion. He's not even expecting Israel to convert. Even the Bible says to Jeremiah, don't you... Don't you pray for these people. I'm not going to deliver them. You can forget prayer. It's not going to happen. He says that over in this seventh chapter. In the seventh chapter, in verse 16, Therefore pray thou not for this people, neither lift up crying or prayer for them, neither make intercession to me. I will not hear you, Jeremiah. Jeremiah's words from the beginning of the first chapter to the last chapter are devastating. Reading Jeremiah, when people say God doesn't create evil, you have never read the book of Jeremiah, that's for sure, if you say that. Because he says through this book constantly, I will bring evil over and over and over again. Let's keep reading. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before you came out of the belly, I sanctified thee and a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Our Lord God, behold, I'm a child. I, I don't know how to speak. But the Lord said unto me, Don't say I'm a child, for thou shalt go all over that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, that's what you speak. I'll protect you all the way. Yeah, they may they may do some terrible things to you, like hanging you in the mire, cursing you, just 
wanting to throw stones at you, do all kinds of things to you, but I'll protect you through it all. Be not afraid of their faces. The word face is the word pana. Comes from the word panim, P-A-N-I-Y-M. It means surface. It actually has the idea of the same thing in the New Testament as prosopoleptale, P-R-O-S-O-P-L-E-P-T-E-O. Prosopoleptale means respect of persons. Respect of persons in the Greek and prosopon comes from prosopon, P-R-O-S-O-P-O-N, which is the word face or surface. So he's saying, don't respect any persons that you see. You don't have to respect their faces. Don't be afraid of their faces. And then he says, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth, Jeremiah. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, pull up, destroy, throw down, to build, and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast seen, thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, What seest thou? And I said, I see a seething pot, and the face thereof is toward the north. Now he's talking about, seething pot is talking about Jerusalem is seething with sin. And the Lord said unto me, Out of the north, and evil shall break forth upon the inhabitants of the land. That has very significant meaning. When anyone wanted to come into Israel, when Syria wants to come into northern Israel, here's the Caucasus Mountains. This is Syria up here between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. They came down. They couldn't come over here into this desert part. That was the Arabian desert. They always had to come into Israel from the north. If Babylon was coming, the Bible says that Babylon came from the east, and this is Babylon attacked from the north. They came from the north because that's the only way you could come into Israel. They had to come from the north. Then the Lord said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth. God says many times, all through Jeremiah, This evil coming from the north is of me. Shall break forth upon the inhabitants of the land. For lo, I will call. I will do the calling of the families of the kingdoms of the north, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, saith the Lord. I do the calling. I will call them down to devastate and destroy Israel. And they shall come and they shall set everyone his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem. And that's where I want you to stand. 
and preach to everybody and tell them these that, that Nebuchadnezzar is coming and he's going to come into the gates. I want you to stand at the gates of the city. They had a fish gate on this side. They had a, a sheep gate. They had a dung gate. And they had different gates. He said, go to the gates of the city. And that is where all the people gather to do their business. And he said, go to the temple in the middle of the city and stand at the door of Solomon and preach to him there. Go here and preach to all these Jews and tell them, Nebuchadnezzar is coming from the north and he's going to destroy you. That's what I feel like. I feel like a preacher of judgment. I'm just trying to tell the world. God's coming in judgment, and the judgment is coming upon America, and it doesn't matter whether America believes it or not. They shall set everyone his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem against all the walls thereof round about and against the cities of Judah. Now let's go to the next chapter. And he says here in the second chapter in verse 3. Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. And he says all through here, all through this book, I'm going to bring the evil. Now, Let's go on it further in the book. Chapter 4, verse 1. If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. If thou wilt put away thine abominations. But God has already got it planned that they won't do it. The Bible says, did Israel stumble and fall following these idol gods just to stumble? God forbid they stumble so salvation will come to the Gentile church in the New Testament. So whenever they would say, if you will, they're saying, but you won't. Then he says here in verse chapter 4, verse 4, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart circumcision is spiritual that's what Ephesians the second chapter and Colossians the second chapter says ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem lest my fury come forth like fire when you don't repent my fury which is an evil will come upon you like a fire verse 6 set up the standard towards Zion Retire, stay not, for I will bring evil from the north. God says, I bring the evil and a great destruction upon Jerusalem. Goodness gracious, what do you mean you don't believe God does evil? Then you get over here in chapter 6. Verse 1, O children of Benjamin. Benjamin was with southern Judah. The tribe of the kingdom of Judah was the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. 
O you children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee out of the midst of Jerusalem. Judgment's coming. America, judgment's coming. And blow the trumpet in Tekoa and set up a sign of fire in Bethhekarim. For evil appeareth out of the north, and I am bringing it. And great destruction. In chapter 6, verse 19, this is God speaking. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people Israel. Even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, this applies to America. Nor to my law, but rejected it. Chapter 7. He tells Israel, your prophets and your priests are lying. Verse 4, trust not in lying words, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Verse 8, behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Verse 9, will you steal murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and burn incense unto Baal? the sun god, and walk after other gods? Why do you think God doesn't want us doing Christmas? Christmas and these gods that Israel's going after is the same thing. The Bible proves that with Revelation 17 and 5. Babylon mothered all harlotry. And when, when Constantine brought the gods of the Ostrogoths, the Visigoths, the Huns, the Vandals, and all these hordes coming from the Far East. He brought it into the church and said, we will accept your sun and tree god worship. And the, and the Christians come and join in. And they all served the same system that Constantine brought in the church in Rome and called it the Christ Mass. He took the Feast of Saturn, the Saturnalia, the worship of the sun god of Rome, and called it Christmas. And that's what Israel is going after. People like John MacArthur, he hasn't read much of the Old Testament, or he doesn't believe it when he reads it. Says, I know that Christmas comes from the feast of Saturn, and December the twenty-fifth was the birthday of Mithra, the sun god of Babylon, uh, of Rome. I can't believe that he don't want to do anything about it. Look at verse eight of chapter seven. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. He's talking to Israel. Jeremiah's not talking to anybody but Israel through this old book. Will you steal murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and burn incense unto Baal and walk after other gods whom you knew not? And come and stand before me in the house which is called by my name and say we are delivered to do all these abominations. Are you saying that you're supposed to do that? And verse 15, I will cast you out of my sight. I have cast out all your brethren. He's talking about the beast, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, come in and carry them away because of their false doctrines of this sun and tree worship, the Christmas tree worship. Am I out of time? Two minutes.
Therefore pray not, verse 16, Therefore pray not for these people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear you, Jeremiah. Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah and the, street, and the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women of Jerusalem knead their dough and make cakes to the Queen of Heaven. And who is unfamiliar with the Queen of Heaven? Is the Mary of Roman Catholicism. It's Mileta, it's Venus, it's Aphrodite. And drink offerings unto other gods. This is what Israel did. When you read Jeremiah, you can't get around the fact that Christmas is heathenism. Do they provoke me to anger, saith the Lord? Do they provoke themselves to confusion or their faces? That means embarrassment. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold mine anger and my fury. My anger and my fury shall be poured out upon this place, Jerusalem. Is God's fury something soft and easy? No. It's rage. It's fire. It's these pagans coming in. God puts it in their mind to come in and attack Jerusalem. I don't know why people can't see this. Verse 23, But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I'll be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk you in all my ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with thee. Verse 24, But they walked in the counsels in the imagination of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. I'm just getting started in Jeremiah. I'm not going to be through for a few weeks. I'm just going to mark this right here. I'm going to have to stop. I'm out of time. I'll put that right there. And I'll come right back to this place. I don't understand intelligent preachers that call themselves conservative not believing this. You guys have never read the book of Jeremiah, have you? Slow and easy. He's only talking to Israel. For some reason, they, I think they think he's talking some lofty words to some foreign nation. No, he's not talking to Israel. Well, let's pray. I'll come back to this same spot next time. I'm doing this paper on does God create evil? I guess he does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for your word. We pray that you'll give us strength to stand in everything we do. Open up opportunities for this ministry, Lord. Only you can do it. I can't do it. I don't even know how. We're on TV all over the country and throughout the world. Lord, open this up. You can get people behind it if you want to. Do your pleasure. And we'll give you praise for everything. Fight our battles. In Christ's name, amen. I've spent my life studying these characters in the Old Testament. How I can see this and preachers can't, I don't know. How can I see it and John MacArthur can't? You have to be willing to offend to see this and say it. 
And you can't expect a big ministry doing this. But your focus is not to offend. That's just the result of what you're doing. Yeah. It's, I'm not trying to offend them. I'm just trying to tell them the truth. I'm trying to say, hey, there's a there's a cliff ahead and you're on the wrong road. There ain't no bridge up there and there's a thousand foot drop. Turn around and stop. Yeah, it's just crazy. Preachers are crazy. I don't even understand why they can say what they're saying. I just thought I'd go through this. Thank you, Dave. I love you, man. Can I get a check from Sunday? Yeah. I'll shoot you an email. Well, just shoot me if you would. <laughs> it's for um, Kansas. But I'll, I'll get Kansas, you. okay. I'll make you an email. Tomorrow. Okay, good. Yeah, thank you. I love you. Love you, Rusty. Love you, Rusty. Holy mercy. Hey, what are you doing, Shielding?